Um, instead of going through a normal sermon, <laughs> I'm going to give a state of the church address in two parts. I've been away for the last five weeks in a planned time of reading, prayer, and reflection in order to seek God about how to best move new life forward in the vision that God has given this church. As I get started today, first of all, I want to thank the elders and thank the church for allowing me to take this time away from my normal pastoral duties. Maybe we could turn it down just a little bit with the sound, but just thank God for uh, allowing me to step away from those normal duties. And this time has allowed me to read, study, research, consult, pray, uh, and, and seek God in order to begin to operationalize what it means for new life to practically work towards living out its vision statement. Without this time away from my normal duties, I would not have been able to do those things. So I thank you so much for this good gift. Specifically, I've been able to read extensively, to pray fervently, and to consult with many leaders, both here locally and nationally, that have a great deal of experience in the area of developing multicultural churches. This time away has been difficult at times. It has been a time of wrestling. It has been sobering at times. But at the same time, it has confirmed the calling that God has on my life to work towards the vision that God gave New Life Philly before I ever got here. I am so grateful to everyone that has been praying over these last few weeks in my absence. So let me get into this. Brothers and sisters, we live in a messed up world. Somebody should say amen to that. Okay, I hear that. We live in a messed up world. And we live in a time of unparalleled division. We live in an atmosphere where the church is being torn in different directions. And Christians who have differences on almost anything, it seems like we can't get along together in Holy Spirit love and unity. This grieves God's heart. But the vision that God has given New Life Philly is a vision that breaks down those walls. It's a vision that destroys those barriers. It's a vision that creates a beloved community of God's people worshiping together and walking in solidarity with all of those who are oppressed and marginalized. This was Jesus' vision from the beginning. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Amen. Jesus comes. He says, for the poor, for the prisoner, for the blind, for the oppressed. And as we move forward as God's people here, we are doing the same thing. This was the specific vision for New Life Philly long before I arrived on the scene as a pastor. 41 years ago, God saved me. And when he saved me, he called me to help lead his church to become an expression of the beloved community that we see in Revelation 7, 9, where people from every tribe, tongue, and ethnicity gather together to worship the one true God. God's call on my life was clear from the earliest days of my conversion. And soon after that, I found myself in a ridiculously diverse church where the Spirit of God was moving. I was discipled there. And I met this woman named Harriet there, who is now my wife. I was tasting a little bit of heaven in that multicultural church, and my call only grew clearer to me. And since then, the Lord's confirmed that calling over and over again in my life, along with tremendous difficulties and many, many challenging trials. But I stand here today as a man compelled by the Holy Spirit to work towards that vision. In this time of strife and disunity, God is calling New Life Philly to move through those demonically triggered realities in order to demonstrate his powerful and gracious love toward one another, toward our neighbors in Alney and Upper North Philadelphia and beyond. We're not moved to do this work because of a desire for money, for a desire for fame, a desire to be thought of as something by somebody, not at all. Instead, we're consumed with this transformational, life-changing desire to see the glory of God revealed in a way greater than we ever imagined and to do that through us. Amen? We see a stark contrast to the world and even the structures of the church that continue to separate and divide. And we're compelled to bring more fully the dream of God's beloved community before us. Friends, I hope you agree with me. This is worth living for. This is worth dying for. This is worth sleepless nights. This is worth difficult conversation after difficult conversation after difficult conversation. This is worth the pain of being misunderstood, of being disliked, of being labeled a certain way. This is worth uh, this is a cross worth carrying every day and every night, I believe, for the rest of my life in order to serve the King of Kings. My sisters and my brothers, I hope and pray, and I know that God has already stirred up many of your hearts with this very same passion. You wouldn't be here if he didn't. Many of you have been at New Life for years. 
And you've stayed here because of this vision to see God's glory manifested here in this place through a diverse community of God's people. Now, let me say this clearly. You know and I know that this work is not for the faint of heart. Let's face it. This is the hardest kind of work that exists because it is, it is a direct assault on the kingdom of darkness that has always existed from the beginning to separate and to divide people made in the image of God. But if, like me, God has molded your heart and God has stirred your passions in such a way that being part of this beloved community is not an optional add-on to your Christian life, like sprinkles on the top of a birthday cupcake, but it is a core conviction of your calling in Christ, then I am asking you to join in on this journey to the glory of God. I want to take some time today to report on what's happened with me over these last five weeks, to report on my time away. And so I'm going to give just two insights that I gained in that time. And each of these insights I'm going to talk about confirms to me that although this is a very difficult time, even what can feel like a divisive time at New Life, I believe we are exactly where we need to be in order to more fully manifest what it means to be God's beloved community. Let me be clear about this before I go on. We can't be the beloved community to anyone out there if we are not first loving each other right here and right now. Amen? God is not calling us to a phantom church that doesn't exist yet. He's calling us to love one another deeply now and so prove to be his disciples. So with that, let me talk about these two takeaways. Takeaway number one. Most diverse churches are monocultural. First of all, I want to highlight that there are, that although there are a growing number of diverse churches, all of the research shows that almost all of these churches tend to be dominated by one culture. In their book, United by Faith, four Christian sociologists did a three-year study on churches all over the country that are considered to be racially and ethnically diverse. They make a strong case that the ideal congregation should be a truly integrated congregation where minority members are not asked to assimilate into dominant culture. This is what they concluded. They say, it is our belief that a truly multicultural congregation requires a transformation of congregational culture. It's no longer the old culture with certain accommodations made for members of different races, and it's no longer a mosaic of elements of separate and distinct cultures. Rather, the integrated multi-racial congregation 
has developed a hybrid of the distinct cultures that have joined together in one church. Elements of different racial cultures are not incorporated to appease diverse constituencies. Rather, the new hybrid culture is an expression of the congregation's unified collective identity. They say we're hard-pressed to cite definitive examples of such congregations from our study. I want you to think about that last statement. Three years, hundreds of thousands of dollars into this research, four prominent Christian sociologists who are arguing strongly for a multicultural expression of the body of Christ, and they say we're hard-pressed to find definitive examples of such congregations from our study. That is a staggering assessment and one that's consistent in the literature and in the conversations I've had with leaders. Congregations that are truly integrated as a beloved community are extremely rare. And that is exactly what God is calling us to be at New Life Philly. And I don't know about you, but I am excited about that reality. Although there are many issues that make it difficult for churches to truly integrate and that cause them to remain, by and large, assimilationist in their approach to bringing people of color into a congregation, there is one overarching literature. I get this from every person that I've talked to, every book that I've read, read, all the study I've done, and this is what it is. The primary characteristic of cultural dominance in diverse churches is the inability to speak honestly and openly about issues related to race and its effect on people of color in America. This is the primary issue that keeps diverse churches from actually becoming safe harbors for people of color and from truly exemplifying what it means to be the beloved community. We are called to break that mold. We must break that mold. At New Life Philly, by the grace of our great God, we will break that mold. It's happening already. I am incredibly grateful for Pam Bryant and for Heather Musselman, who have been leading a group of women over the last eight months in a group called a Be the Bridge group. That group is helping those women to learn and grow together by confronting these difficult issues around race and ethnicity and talking through them. We'll be putting this type of effort together on a church-wide basis in coming months to break down those walls of division. And next week, I'll be talking more about specifics in how we will do that. Takeaway number two is this. Moving towards racial solidarity and reconciliation is always resisted. This is hard stuff. 
Two churches that I know have, that I know personally have died or split in the last few months due primarily to a lack of willingness from majority culture, culture members and leaders to honestly deal with issues of race and justice necessary to create a healthy multicultural church. Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, who's an author, pastor, seminary professor, has been working in the field of racial reconciliation for over 30 years, and she describes what a need for what she calls catalytic events to take place before a congregation will actually move towards that deeper level of true reconciliation. A catalytic event is unsettling. It causes a significant amount of discomfort, and for a time, it will make people wonder if they can ever get through it. I don't know if that rings any bells for anyone at New Life Church. Dr. Brenda diagrams this process for racial reconciliation in her excellent book, Racial Reconciliation 2.0. I'm not going to explain all of this diagram now, uh, but she diagrams the roadmap this way. All I want you to see now is in the lower left-hand corner of that diagram where it says preservation in the middle of it. This indicates that the, the natural state for congregations is to preserve what they know, to preserve their culture, to keep things largely the way they've always been. Even diverse congregations like New Life tend towards the preservation of old and familiar ways and resist the difficult transformational challenge changes that are needed to create a truly reconciling environment. Now, that should not surprise any one of us here or anyone watching this at home because we are human beings and human beings don't like change. We naturally resist it. I resist change. Change is uncomfortable. It's difficult. I'd rather have things be predictable. I'd rather have things be done in such a way that it's just, that's according to my taste. Thank you very much. I like it this way. But I suspect we're all that way to a large degree. But brothers and sisters, there's no such thing as conversion and there's no such thing as sanctification without being transformed and changed. That is always the work of God by his grace and because of his love. Todd Bolsinger, in his book, Tempered Leadership, quotes a study indicating that 90% of people, listen to this, 90% of people, when confronted by their doctor with an ultimatum that they need to make a serious lifestyle change, you can't eat that, you need to exercise, whatever it is, Confronted with making a serious lifestyle change or you will die. 90% of the people don't make that change. Change is hard. We all resist it. He says, 
in his book, people do not, I love this, this is helpful. People do not resist change per se. People resist loss. You hear that? It's not just that I need to change, but I'm losing something. I'm leaving something behind. I struggle with that. We all struggle with that. But then speaking to leaders, he says, you appear dangerous to people when you question their values, beliefs or habits of a lifetime. You place yourself, leader, on the line when you tell people what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. Although you may see with clarity and passion a promising future of progress and gain, people will see with equal passion the losses you're asking them to sustain. Change is hard. I believe that God has used in many ways my coming to New Life Church, along with my wife Harriet, as a catalytic event to help fuel the type of transformational change that's necessary to move New Life Church even further towards its vision. It's not comfortable. Brothers and sisters, it's not supposed to be. Sanctification never is, even by the grace of God. But if we have eyes to see That what we gain is so much greater than what we lose. We can move forward in doing the hard work to become God's beloved community. Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8 verse 18. He said, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. In in, in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul talks about those sufferings as light momentary afflictions. What's he talking about there? His light momentary afflictions are being brutally beaten over and over again, put in prison over and over again, at one time being stoned by a group of people and left for dead, being shipwrecked and being in trouble everywhere he goes. He calls that light momentary affliction but not worth being compared to the glory that is ahead of us. Beloved, whatever difficulties we may have to get there, the glory that comes from fulfilling God's purpose will always be infinitely greater. And so today, I just want us, I just want to talk about recommitting to the vision that God has given this church And let me just put the vision statement up there. New life exists to be a thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. God led me to new life largely because of that mission statement. I believe that when the church was putting that together, going through all the process, I know it was hard, but the Holy Spirit was overseeing that process for that specific vision. Before I came to, the, to become the pastor of New Life Church, I preached two sermons here. Um, And I made one overarching point in those two sermons. That is this. God has given the church one purpose on earth. One. And that purpose is to make disciples. 
Matthew 28, 19 and 20, to make disciples. Now that means to make people who are being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. That's what making disciples means. Dallas Willard calls it becoming apprentices of Jesus. So in other words, to walk like Jesus walked, to talk like Jesus talked, to love what Jesus loves, and even to hate what Jesus hates. This must always be the laser focus of the church. And we do this with the end in mind that God has shown us and made clear in his word, and that is the creation of the beloved community. We strive to make disciples from every tribe, tongue, and ethnicity that will forever worship the Lord and come before him in the new Jerusalem, Revelation 7, 9. Dr. Martin Luther King, after the success of the Montgomery boycott, bus boycott in 1956, shared these powerful words. He said, love your enemies. Keep in mind that a boycott and its achievement do not in themselves represent the goal. The goal is reconciliation. The goal, the end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. If new life is to move forward and be true to, the, to God's biblical vision for it, it must always strive to more perfectly embody what it means to be that beloved community. Let me say this as clearly as I know how. The Lord has already done a beautiful work at New Life Philly. Y'all know that. Let that sink in. Over the last several decades, something beautiful has happened at this church, bringing together a diverse and eclectic community of believers. We need to value that. We need to thank God for that reality. Somebody just say, thank you, Jesus, right now. But we don't stop there as if that means we've arrived. We've never arrived till we're with Jesus face to face. Amen. He's always got more work to do. We have a great deal of intentional work to do if we're going to live out that vision statement and become that truly integrated multicultural community. New life is strategically located in one of the most diverse places in America the most diverse place in Pennsylvania. Here's our challenge. We must embrace a cross-cultural missionary mindset in order to effectively reach our city. This means in particular that white members at New Life must take on an even more intentional posture of humility and servanthood as cross-cultural missionaries serving this community. Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do that I haven't done. For the last 30-plus years of my life, before I came to New Life, my calling was not to be the lead pastor anywhere. It was to serve leaders of color, black pastors and Puerto Rican pastors, and to live under that, to help, to support, to do what I could to make that happen cross-culturally. How can I help? That's the posture. Effective cross-cultural missionaries view themselves as servants of those they're trying to reach. 
they purposely empower others so that they can work behind the scenes as much as possible to empower the target community to bring the gospel to that community. Amen? I believe that posture is here already, that it has been here. We've just got to embrace it and see it even more as we develop and and bring new leaders. Let me be clear. The beloved community embraces all ethnicities and celebrates those of European ancestry, just as those from Asia, Africa, Latin America, or indigenous Americans. We embrace everyone in that community. No group is excluded. No group is given a secondary status in the beloved community. We are all made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Also, just to be clear, this does not mean that there will be no white leaders at New Life. As long as New Life exists, our, our, our desire is to be a multicultural community, not a black church, not a white church. Not even just a diverse church that's monocultural, but a multicultural expression of Christ on earth. As God's beloved community, we long to see God's fingerprints, God's divine DNA in the beautiful mosaic of leadership at New Life Church. I do want to understand or emphasize, however, the idea of majority culture taking a position of servanthood, of being as being a critical element that allows people of color to flourish in a multicultural church. Both the research and my consultation with other leaders confirms that this is truly a rare phenomenon, especially at churches like New Life that started out as white churches. Ultimately, this servanthood must be demonstrated in leadership structures and in how we make decisions. In many ways, this is what's being done now through the Pastoral Training Institute of Africa that I co-founded along with Pastor Robert Manda in Malawi. In that ministry, Americans support the training of African church planters and the planting of churches. Americans do not lead or direct the on-the-ground efforts of what's happening. Over 95% of the teaching uh, is done by indigenous Africans who know the context, know the challenges, and know the resources that are available to them better than any American missionary will ever know. Americans raise funds and occasionally teach and serve in whatever capacity that will be helpful as we're invited in by the African church. The African church is deeply grateful and appreciative of this partnership. And we as Americans are blessed to serve in the African church and to see God's glory spread. We take a posture of humility and servanthood in doing so. And I pray that in the coming years, many of you will be blessed to experience that 
firsthand by going with me to Malawi. I pray that we'll be going to different places in the DR and in Japan and in Spain to our different missionaries around the world. I'll talk about that more next week. New Life is called to make disciples, to form a glorious community, beloved community in Alney and Upper North Philly and beyond. We love and care for one another. We're in a position to serve the needs of the community as we are transformed more fully into the image of Christ. I see four primary areas that mark this beloved community of disciples. We are a praying community. We must be a worshiping community. We must be a missional community. And we must be an equipping community. I'll talk more about each of those areas in detail next week. As I get ready to conclude, let me say this. Moving towards this vision is the hardest work imaginable because it is spiritual warfare at the deepest level, especially given our current environment. So we don't move forward with a triumphal mentality as if we believe that any of these kinds of changes will come easily. Dr. Cornell West emphasizes the difference between naive optimism and biblical hope this way. He says, I'm not optimistic He said, I've never been optimistic about humankind or America. I think maybe he gets something about what the Bible says about the nature of humankind. But he says the evidence never looks good in terms of forces for good actually becoming prominent. But he says, but I am a prisoner of hope. And that's very different. I believe that we do have signs of hope and that the evidence is underdetermined. We have to make a leap of faith beyond the evidence to try to energize one another so we can accent the best in one another. But that is what being a prisoner of hope is all about. I love that phrase, prisoners of hope. To preserve and persevere in the work that God has called us to, we must also be prisoners of hope. That's a phrase that's directly taken from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 12 as the prophet is speaking to the people of God who are back from the exile and yet the temple lays in ruins. He lays out this messianic vision of what God will do and says we are prisoners of hope. Let us be those prisoners of hope. Next week, I'll be talking about some of the specifics of how we move forward and continue to live out our vision statement. But let me be clear. I don't think that striving towards this beloved community is something we should do. I believe it's something that we must do. 
It is our mandate from God himself to demonstrate in the earth this expression of his church that offers true dignity, true worth, and value to every person created in his image. It is precious. It is rare. And it is our calling. I pray that today many of you are encouraged, even inspired, as you consider the vision and calling of New Life Church and your part in it. Get excited, get prayerful, and get ready to go to work. Amen? Now, I also know that there are some who are struggling at this time. There are some who are confused What is my place in all of this? Is there a place for me? And here is my appeal to anyone that is feeling that right now. Please talk to us. I'd ask specifically that you would talk to myself or Pastor Tim. If you're struggling at this time. Please remember this. The enemy is always busy. He's always at work. And he's pretty much a one-trick pony. The enemy has one weapon at his disposal. That's the lie. Genesis 3, all through the word of God, his enemy, his, his, his weapon is the lie. To divide, to attempt to divide God's people and do whatever he can to destroy God's work. You can see Pastor Tim and my information on the screen. Call us. Email us. Text us. Texting is the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, I might miss a phone call. Pastor Tim said, me too. But call us, email us, let us know that you want to talk. And we look forward to sitting down and talking with you. Let me just close by saying this. We know the end. We know the end. We know that God wins. We know that his kingdom comes. We know that his will is done perfectly and completely in the new heavens and on the new earth. We move forward at New Life Philly with this great hope and with the knowledge that our vision is simply the high definition trailer of God's victory march. He wants us and enables us to see it, to taste it, and to demonstrate it to a dying world all around us for the glory of his name. Next week, we'll give a lot of details on different pieces. But for right now, I'd like us to just stand together for a moment. If you're here, you might want to do that at home or not. And I just want us to take just a minute to just give God glory, to give God thanks for the vision that he's given us at New Life Philly. Let's just take time to praise his name. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Lord. Bless your name, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Ah, hallelujah. Our God is good. Our God is good.
Father God, we thank you for this time. And I thank you for the people of God that you brought here over the years to New Life Philly. I thank you for those who are right now looking at becoming members of this church. I thank you, Lord God, that your vision doesn't leave anyone out and that your kingdom is coming and your will will be completed in the earth. Bless this, Lord. Bless this vision and bless our time together, Lord God. We give you glory, honor, and praise, and we worship you now. Now in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's...